This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Optimal Living Daily, episode 2614, Why You Shouldn't Optimize Your Life by Nick Majuli of ofdollarsanddata.com. And I'm Justin Mollick, your personal narrator, reading to you every single day of the year with permission from the authors. Today is a brand new author. And I had to share this because the title goes against the tagline of our show, or all of our shows in this podcast network, actually. And I'm all about hearing multiple perspectives. So with that, we're gonna get right to it as we optimize your life. Why You Shouldn't Optimize Your Life by Nick Majuli of ofdollarsanddata.com. It was the early 1990s and researchers at the University of Iowa were looking for a simple way to determine whether someone had brain damage in their ventromedial prefrontal cortex, which I'll abbreviate from now on as VMPFC, an area of the brain responsible for decision-making. At the time, demonstrating impairment in someone's VMPFC wasn't possible within a lab setting. So the researchers devised a game, later known as the Iowa Gambling Task, or IGT, to change this. The IGT worked as follows. You're presented with four virtual decks of cards labeled A, B, C, and D, and some starting money. You're then told to choose a deck and draw a card from it. The card will have a monetary reward on it, but it may also have a fee, which is netted out against your reward. Therefore, some cards will earn you money while others will lose you money. The goal of the game is to maximize the amount of money you have before you run out of draws. However, there's a catch. Not all the decks are the same. Some decks are good, they contain cards that tend to grow your money over time, while others are bad, they contain cards that tend to shrink your money over time. Unfortunately, you don't know which is which. You have to figure it out as you go along. Most people who play the IGT are able to identify which decks are good and which decks are bad after about 40 to 50 draws. However, this isn't true for those participants with brain damage. Participants with impairments to their VMPFC didn't improve their performance over time and continued to draw from the bad decks even as they watched their money dwindle. The researchers who originally designed the IGT got what they wanted. They created a simple tool that they could use to understand decision-making and when it was impaired. Yet, despite its simplicity, the Iowa gambling task taught me far more about life than I could have initially imagined. The first time I played the IGT, I did pretty much what everybody else does. I picked from the decks at random, came up with a theory about which decks were good and bad, and then played the good decks until the game ended after 100 draws. I finished my first game with $3,400 after starting with $2,000. Not bad, I thought to myself, but I had to know if I could do better. I had to find the optimal solution. So I played the game over and over again until I did. Sometimes I played using only one of the decks. Other times I played using multiple decks. And there were even times when I switched decks at random or midway through a game. 
And guess what? It worked. Through my many trials and tribulations, I discovered that the highest score you can get on one specific version of the IGT is around $4,500. Technically, you can score higher, but you have to get lucky. However, in my quest to get the highest possible score, I realized that I was completely missing the point of the game. The IGT was originally designed to understand decision-making under uncertainty. But by replaying the game over and over again, I had removed the uncertainty altogether. Unfortunately, this is how many of us, myself included, judge our own lives. We look back and wonder whether we could have done better. We tell ourselves, if I only knew back then what I know now. But this is an illusion, because once you remove the uncertainties of life, you can almost always find a better option that you could have chosen instead. I think this kind of thinking occurs because many of us are trying to optimize our lives. I know it all too well. I hunt for the best restaurants on Yelp, search for the best products on Amazon, and write about the best ways to invest your money on this blog. And I know I'm not alone. In nearly every domain, you can find content to help you optimize your life as well. Should I have 10% of my portfolio in bonds or 20%? Should I eat fresh blueberries or frozen blueberries? Should I do leg presses or squats? It's optimization all the way down. But how much does all this optimization actually help us? For some people, like professionals, these kinds of decisions can be important. But for the rest of us, it's marginal at best. Yet we try to optimize all the same. We get lost in trivial details instead of focusing on the few big things that actually matter. As Ramit Sethi likes to say, quote, stop asking $3 questions and start asking $30,000 questions, end quote. In personal finance, this means earning a high income and investing in income-producing assets. In nutrition, it means eating whole natural foods, and so forth. Of course, some optimization is good and necessary. If you're running Google, finding the quickest way to return the best search results is paramount. But if you're trying to live an enjoyable life, this level of efficiency isn't needed. In fact, too much optimization can lead to problems of its own, as a therapist on Reddit wonderfully explains, quote, what I find is that those who lean too much into this logic of optimization are the ones that suffer from a literal maddening degree of alienation. It's an easy trap to fall into as it is so very sensible. Why would you spend six hours cleaning, doing a chore you hate and doing it badly, if you could just work an additional hour and outsource that? So you hire a cleaner and a cook and a personal shopper, an interior designer and a nanny. But if you don't watch out, all your little self-worth eggs, so to speak, are kept in the same work basket and step-by-step, you start to live the life of a stranger. You eat the food of someone else, wear the clothes of not you, in an apartment that might as well be a hotel room with kids that are more attached to their nanny than to you. Your vacations are glamorous, but there's little connection to anyone or anything in them. At this point, you might start to feel a little unease. You might start to wonder why you're unfulfilled and try to treat yourself better. So you double down. You get a personal assistant because dealing with a schedule is annoying. And you get a personal trainer. And while you're at it, you also start therapy where you learn techniques that help somewhat and where you analyze childhood events. But what somehow is kept at bay 
in a fish not having a word for water way, is that you identify with your job of optimizing processes to maximum efficiency to a degree that you treat yourself like any work project, end quote. Unfortunately, your life isn't a math equation. You have to accept that you can't maximize every experience. You'll make mistakes, you'll behave suboptimally, and that's okay. What's not okay is spending time debating whether you should buy stocks monthly versus bi-weekly, or whether you should eat spinach versus kale. Instead, learn a new language, pick up a new hobby, call an old friend or relative, enjoy life. The first time I played the Iowa gambling task, my final score was $3,400. That's 76% of the maximum possible score you can get. And guess what? I'm okay with 76%. I hope you can be too. You just listened to the post titled Why You Shouldn't Optimize Your Life by Nick Majuli of ofdollarsanddata.com. Thank you to Nick. Again, the tagline of this show and all the shows in our podcast network, which we say right before every single blog post, so I've said it over 2,500 times over the last seven years, is literally optimize your life. So how am I going to justify this one? Well, I don't mind a challenge. So first of all, I do appreciate the message here. There was a caveat he mentioned for some people like professionals, these kinds of decisions, the type that optimize different aspects of our lives are important. Okay, so there's that. But he's saying that for the rest, which may or may not be the majority of people, it's marginal. And marginal can be good, right? Because it's progress, but we don't wanna be debating the tiniest of details and spending lots of time on that when there's a massive win over there that we're ignoring completely. And that makes perfect sense. So an example from this article, debating spinach versus kale, but maybe we only eat either once a week. In this case, the bigger win is to simply eat more greens altogether. So I do agree there. But even if we follow this line of thinking or Ramit Sethi's thinking, which was quoted in this article, and stop asking $3 questions so we can pay attention to those $30,000 questions, are we not still optimizing our lives? I would say we are, just maybe in a bigger way instead of obsessing over the details. And hopefully Nick would agree with that. So with that, thank you for being here and optimizing your life with me. Have a great rest of your day and I'll be back tomorrow where your optimal life awaits.